are from and represent the Houston area in some way. Um, I think all of us were really affected by what happened during uh, Hurricane Harvey. So the first thing I want to ask is, you know, over the next three, six months, if there's one thing that you can do, I mean, some of you up here are sort of involved directly in the policy making sphere. Some of you are involved in the advocacy sphere, some in the research. But if there was one thing that you could implement or push for, some kind of policy change, policy strengthening over the next three to six months to try and reduce the risk of flooding like this from happening in the future, which, what would it be? And let's start with you, Steve. Why do we always start with the flood zone? <laughs> I thought this was ladies first. Okay. So I guess if I, I wouldn't say policy because what I have cautioned the community is to not react so quickly, is to step back, take a deep breath, let's see what really happened to the community and figure out where we go forward. I think what, what I would like to see more of is more investment in our infrastructure, which as an engineer I've been advocating for for 40 years. And so what I'm continuing to advocate for in my trips up to Washington is additional funding to the Houston area as a result of Hurricane Harvey. Uh, but before we spend that money, figure out how we should do this wisely so that, number one, we solve an existing problem but also make it such that we are uh, making the city more resilient. I mean, I, that's a term that I think is overly used. It's just to make sure that we use now, instead of maybe the 1% chance of flooding, which is 100 year, now maybe we use the flood of record, which is Harvey. So those are some of the things that I would like to advocate for as we move forward. Before we go to Dr. Rufa, I just want to follow up quickly. When you talk about funding, how much money are we talking about here? So there are really two unique sources of money that is going to be available to the region. The first is from FEMA, and it actually has two pockets of money. One is what they call categories A and B, which is debris removal and emergency ops, which is all the expenditures during the hurricane itself, including sheltering. That's one aspect of it. The more long-term recovery is other categories they have in the alphabetical C through G, which is roads, utilities, infrastructure, facilities. That category will probably take us about 90 days to figure out what the total damage assessment was before we go back to FEMA. And it is the long-term recovery side of it. Uh, the other big pot of money is through HUD, because once the administration dec declared a disaster area, it opened up another tool, another box of money, which is Community Development Block Grant DR, Disaster Relief Money. And with HUD money, HUD money has a lot of flexibility with it. It's usually a combination of housing and infrastructure, and it's usually somewhere around 65% housing, 35% infrastructure. Uh, you have to meet three criteria when you're using those dollars. It has to be low to moderate income areas. It has to be where areas had flooded. And then the third, which is the most critical, it can't supplant an existing project that you had planned and funded. And so the money is really used in areas where we didn't have the resources available. So we're looking somewhere north of probably $50 billion. And that is a big ask just for the city of Houston alone in comparison to the entire state. $50 billion for the city of Houston. And so far we know Congress has allocated $15 billion, not just for Houston, obviously. So more will have to be on the way. Right. And if, yeah. you, if you go back and you look at Sandy and also a little further back, you look at Katrina, uh, there were multiple allocations. And so one of the reasons why we continue to go up to Washington is to keep reminding them, here is our unmet need. Here is what we need. Now, 
we know that we'll probably not get the full ask because, I mean, it's a big region. I mean, the, the hurricane impacted the, quite a bit of the state, but we're competing with Irma and now Maria. So uh, there's going to be a big, big, big ask from everybody. Okay, so more money, the flood czar says. Next from, now we're going to sort of, Dr. Rafai, what, what, what would you push for in the wake of this? Well, Nina, I would hope that we would be more coordinated and responsive on environment. I know we've done a great job with emergency response for people in flooded homes and things of that nature, but I'm not sure we did as good of a job responding to environmental problems that are uh, a consequence of hurricanes and severe storms. So if anything, I'd like to see some investment in that where uh, the agencies coordinate perhaps a little bit better. Some of you may know that uh, myself and other faculty at universities uh, were out and about with our students trying to figure out, you know, and answer some questions as to what are the significant environmental issues that we should be concerned about. Give so that's one, one thing. That, yeah, give us one example. What does that mean on the ground, environmental response? So on the ground, it would be nice to know where the threats are, where the risks are, and what the level of risk that would be posed uh, with uh, things like if you have acute situations where you might have a spill of some kind. Uh, and then on the longer term, what I call the chronic type problems is what's going to happen to the bayous, what's going to happen to Galveston Bay as a result of this really significant amount of rain that we had. So we do have a lot of agencies, but I'm not sure that there's the coordination framework in place for them to actually mobilize right after the event has ended the storm and then begin to collect the data and share with the public because obviously that's where the majority of uh, at least the contacts with me were about what should I do, I'm worried about this, you know, what, tell us what will happen here or, you know, as a consequence. So that's something we'd love to see more of. Right, and so some of what you're saying, and we'll come back to this later, is we don't even know really what the risks are. Exactly. Um, we don't know where the chemicals are, what chemicals they are. Okay, we'll talk more about that later. But uh, um, Marianne. Well, I guess I would like to see us do, a uh, do things differently. I think that a lot of the things that we've already done, channelizing the bayous, trying to get water off as fast as possible into our bayous, our creeks, and then eventually into the bay, aren't working anymore with these huge flood events. So what I would like to see us figure out a way is to use green infrastructure, use nature at its best. So why are we destroying wetlands? Wetlands are a great way to actually keep water and detain water. And people will tell you, oh, they're not as great as detention ponds. But the truth of the matter is, is that if they're multiple wetlands and they're the same size as a detention pond, they'll hold about the same amount of water, but they'll also provide other benefits. They'll improve water quality. They provide wildlife habitat. They um, filter, you know, obviously, improving the water quality, they filter the, the pollutants and sediment that come from it. But I'd also like to point out that a lot of people will say that when you look at prevention using nature, you've got an opportunity to have it be resilient. It doesn't have to be repaired. It repairs itself. It doesn't have to be operated. It operates itself. And it doesn't have to be replaced in 20 years from now. So I think we need to find a way to marry the green infrastructure with the kinds of things that Steve is talking about that are perhaps more innovative than we've been in the past and find ways to look at uh, what can be different? Because if we're continuing to expect the same result, um, or expect a different result from the same kinds of activities, you know, that's the definition of an insane person. And I think we need to try to figure out a way to, to learn from what we're doing and learn from what's happened over the past, not just Harvey, but the tax day flood, the two Memorial Day floods. It seems as if we're getting more and more of these. And what we have, it doesn't work. And so, Marianne, just so the room understands what you're saying is, of course, Houston used to be home to 
it's a much more wetland and prairie area than it is now. Right. Well, um, actually, the whole Houston region was a coastal prairie uh, wetland. And about 60% of it was coastal prairie. About 40% of it was wetlands. When the Allen brothers actually um, started Houston, they called it a swamp. It wasn't a swamp. There were these fabulous depressional wetlands that harbored wildlife, that did a lot of good. And we've destroyed a lot of them. Um, in the last, I think it's 1996 to 2011, we've lost 30% of those wetlands. And we'd already lost a lot more. Now, people will say, well, you've got the no, not, no net loss of wetlands, and so people are mitigating for it. And they're putting back wetlands. Well, I'll tell you two things. One, nobody does nature as well as nature does it. And secondly, a lot of people who are charged with mitigating for the loss of wetlands actually don't follow through. And so your US Army Corps of Engineers, which has a very small enforcement group, doesn't go out and check. Uh, I have people who go out and say, wait, that wetland was filled in. Why didn't they do something somewhere else? So it's the wetlands, but it's also the prairie. Prairie grasses hold a lot of water. Prairie grasses hold about, if in, in simulated studies, about nine inches of water. Um, Oh, adverse, uh, and, excuse me, um, as opposed to looking at turf grasses, like in your lawn, which holds about a half an inch of water over a 24-hour period. Steve has talked about wanting to get homes to keep, I think it's the first inch of water, mm -hmm. on their lands. Well, one of the ways that we could do that is another natural system is to use native grasses. And they don't have to be six feet tall. They can be five and seven inches tall so that your homeowners association doesn't scream at you, tell you that you have to mow them down. Um, but those not only hold water, they don't use a lot of fertilizer. They don't require um, mowing. And just imagine if, if a bunch of people did that in Houston, our bays would be cleaner and better. So there, there are a lot of things that if we just look to nature, I think we would be better off. OK, so a different approach. And, and Senator? Coming from the Texas legislature perspective, I mean, what do you want to see happening in the legislature, you know, as soon as possible? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of things that, that we can do, uh, but I think it's, frankly, this is one instance where, you know, last session it seems like the beating up of local control was out of control. Uh, but this is one situation where it is best to leave it up to the lo local governments uh, to get their arms around the issues related to flooding, relating to uh, you know, evacuations, relating to uh, uh, any of the things that they need to do locally. Uh, because what we do in Houston, and you, you heard our czar talk about you know, what Houston needs, it's 50 billion, he said. We're guessing. He's guessing. It could be higher. Yep. But we don't know what, what, what Freeport's going to need. We don't know what Victoria's going to need. We don't know what all the other parts of the, the cities or, or counties are going to need. So I think some of those, those things, we, just, we have to step back a little bit and wait to get all the results, uh, all the cities and counties to fully know what, make an assessment of what their impact was. Uh, and then sort through the pockets of money that, that Steve talked about. And the one he didn't mention, of course, was you know, the impact to people, the, the, their homes, uh, and whether or not they had flood insurance, uh, whether or not they had any insurance, uh, what other kind of assistance for home, home uh, owners uh, they'll be able to get. Because I know in my district, and we were, we were hit real hard, uh, we have a lot of displaced people. They lost their homes, they lost their cars, they're, they don't have a way to get to work. And frankly, let's not forget that the count in Texas is over 80 that lost their lives. And I know in my district, um, 
I think I had about nine or ten of them just in Harris County. One week, I think I went to two funerals in about four weeks because I made it a point to visit with those families and, and do the outreach that I needed. So I think when we look at it as a state, it's, 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 it, we've got to wait for all the results. Uh, we got to look, you know, short-term and long-term. And yes, you know, I was city controller in Houston, and it really all boils down to the money, whether we invest in infrastructure, whether we invest in, uh, in more, uh, more upfront for, for prevention, whether we invest in building affordable housing, whether we invest in new creative ways to, to hold the water. There's multiple things. So right. we have a whole hour to talk about it. So waiting, of course, yeah, letting the local, local government sit, sit back and kind of assess the damage was just going to take some time. Do you see, though, the state playing a role in funding some, any, any of this? I mean, $50 billion, you know, a lot of that's going to come from the feds. Oh, I absolutely think so. And I think, uh, thank God that we, Harvey's here, and we won't hopefully have to worry about bathroom bills next session, because I think that, you know, anything that we thought we were going to talk about next session, I think Harvey is, like, like I like to tell people, I have a new man in my life, and he's a jealous son of a gun. He doesn't let me talk about anything else but him. <laughs> Uh, I think the same thing's going to happen with the session. We're going to have to wrestle with all these things at multiple levels, and it is going to include funding. Uh, and I'm one of those, of course, that, that I think it's really important that uh, we do go to the rainy day fund or the economic stabilization fund. Call it what you want, but it is there. Uh, much like Houston has already had to go, go to, to its. I think you all did what 20 million yes, up front, 20 million. million. Mm. Um, and. I was really pleased that, that they took that proactive step. That we're going to have to do that, and we're also going to have to look at other ways of, of helping our local governments and also uh, shoring up what we're doing as a state to support local governments. Because we do have, I mean, the governor is the head of emergency management for the state. So that is a responsibility that, that he has, and I, I think he's done a very able job. Um, but we need to make sure that we have everything in place for, for him to do what he needs to do to, to assist the cities. Right. Is this free form, or do we have to wait for you Please. to ask us a question? Ahead, no, you can okay, jump so, in and disagree with me. No, 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 I, haven't, I, I totally agree with the senator, and I haven't had an opportunity to, to, to visit with the senator about some of my ideas. But if you think about infrastructure, we have water and sewer, we have transportation, and we have flood damage reduction. And if you think about the state business model right now, we have the SWIFT program which is an overarching water-funded program. It's both low-interest loans and grants for small Steve, cities. Steve, tell people what SIF, SWIFT means well, in case they don't know. Well, it's a surface water infrastructure funding. Funding. Thank you. And we call it the well, SWIFT. Well, not everybody knows our acronyms. Yes. Okay. So right. we call we it We all know bathroom bill, but not that one. And, and that was set aside. It, uh, the, the state legislature put $2 billion there to set it up, and it was, it's like a revolving fund. And then what happened was... Uh, uh, several years ago, probably around 2010, TTI did a comprehensive study of transportation for the state's needs. We called it the 2030 plan. And so in 2011 and 2013, the legislature asked the public, Do you, are you willing to invest money into these plans? And the public said yes. What we don't have that we can look at is a statewide plan for flood damage reduction. And so the governor has given the Water Development Board money to start that planning exercise with the directive to have it done <clears throat> in advance of the next legislative session. And so what you're going to see is probably from the communities at large a push for some type of program, just like a SWIFT program or a transportation program, 
where municipalities like the city of Houston or even small cities can tap into because they need those resources for flood damage reduction. So that's, I think, long term. That's what I'm excited about for the state. So we have a program for water infrastructure and then some things for, for drought were added for transportation right. and now we should have one for flooding flooding risk and mitigation. Well, I've actually submitted an interim charge that we're due yesterday to perhaps look at how we can, uh, as a state, um, you know, have some oversight or at least some, some, some uh, guidance in conjunction with the cities and all the local governments on, you know, the floodplain designations, look, look for our flood prone areas, because again, you know, it's Houston and then you've got Harris County, but a lot of the waters connect to each other. Right. Uh, and, you know, what happens in Brazoria County impacts us. What happens in Harris County impacts Chambers and Montgomery and all around it. So we must, we must start looking at these things not just locally but also regionally and maybe perhaps even statewide. So I think this is a good opportunity to, to look at something like that and perhaps have some sort of, you know, authority or, or one agency uh, in addition to the Water Board. And, I, you know, I think their function is... Is, is one thing, but I think just looking at flooding uh, and, and what can do to our state, uh, because we're, it, it, it's a new normal now. I mean, uh, you all built a what, a 24 hour water? As far as the design rain. storms we're uh -huh. looking at, the 100 year storm is, is so, 14 20, inches in 24 hours. 24 hours. But we went through what, 72 hours? In the uh, last we have between 40 and 50 inches of rain in three in three to five. So, years. like you know, the standards are changing. So, I think it's a good time to to really you know look at things, and see if we need to build differently, have, have different uh, standards uh, in design and in planning, uh, to make sure that we're prepared for the next one. And we can't sit around and wait till the next one. We got to start now and be proactive. Right. And so, sorry, inf infrastructure is a part of that, and green infrastructure, is, or not even infrastructure, just using green space is another part of that, too. Did you want to? Uh, no, I, I actually want to talk about money and uh -huh. not necessarily. I mean, I think it's great that we're going after federal funds. I think it's great that the state might participate. But I also think we all need to realize, as residents of these areas, that we have to really voice our concern that we're spending our own money, that our cities, our counties are actually adequately funding these things. Harris County Flood Control, which um, does a you know reasonably good job, has not very much money in terms of the tax rate. It's what, 2.9 cents? 2.9 cents per hundred. Per hundred. So they could go up to between 30 or 35 cents per hundred. They were at eight when- They um, were eight probably 20 years ago. 20 years ago. But we don't have enough money where pay as you go, and every time people think about, oh my God, I'm not going to talk about increasing taxes, um, you you realize that that money is a set amount that the county gets. And if the hospital district needs more, they take it generally from flood control. If the roads need more, they're taking it from flood control. And I think we have to realize, one, that we're going to have to have a little more pain ourselves in our pocketbook, not just if we really want to save people and save our property. And secondly, you know, I agree with the senator, we need to think about multi-jurisdictional initiatives because, you know, flooding knows no jurisdictional boundaries. It can go anywhere. Lots of, lots of the stuff that happened with one of the Memorial Day floods came from the Brazos River and from Waller. Mm -hmm. A lot of what happens even at Attucks and Barker is coming from the upper Cypress watershed, Creek watershed, which again starts in Waller. 60 miles of it are in Waller. So we have to be 
creative. We have to be willing to work with other entities and realize that we are going to have to fund some of it ourselves. And Steve, we've talked about this before from the city perspective. I mean, even before Harvey, you know, Houston was struggling to pay to, to you know, repair drainage and kind of crucial flood infrastructure. Well, you know, it's like interesting that. what Marianne's saying. So whenever I'm out talking publicly, I always end with this particular comment that someone once told me years ago that we are the generation of users, that the generations before us built our communities and our infrastructure. We continue to use it without reinvesting in it. And as Marianne said, that's very, that's very point. When we passed Rebuild Houston in 2010, we were berated by the far right about no new taxes, no new taxes. And we continue to get challenged with no new taxes, even though it's a drainage user fee that we're asking the residents to pay for. We do have a fund. It's called Rebuild Houston. It's a 20-year program. It's in its seventh year now. Uh, the problem that I see when, when you're trying to convince the public to spend dollars is you have to gain public trust. You've got to be able to inform the public of what the challenges are and the problems are, and then tell them this is how we're going to spend the money, and then, and then ask them if they're willing to invest in it. And it's amazing how smart the public is. It's unfortunate that our, some of our leaders believe they're not very smart. But the problem is also the fact that the public has a very limited attention span. So do I. It's 90 minutes, by the way, so let's not go past 90 minutes. But the attention span, so you've got to get your message very crisp, very clear, and you've got to say it over and over and over again to convince the public. And once you're able to convince the public, they're willing to spend the money. So we've got to get over this no new taxes, no new fees, and we've got to decide, as Marianne says, we've got to decide that we're willing to help ourselves. And if we're willing to help ourselves, then we can leverage our dollars from the state, we can leverage our dollars from the federal government. Well, Dr. Riffa, I really want to hear your thoughts on this, but I just have a quick follow-up question for Steve first on Rebuild Houston, because what, some of the folks who oppose that program have alleged that most of the money is, in fact, not going to drainage. That's going to other things. It's going to salaries. It's going to other infrastructure. So how, how, do, you know, how can you convince them? Is, is that not the case? And how do you so, convince so them? So first of all, that's not the case. And actually, the interesting part about Rebuild Houston, it's actually four pots of money. And the drainage user fee is what everybody challenges it was is one pot of this total four pots of money and it was created according to chapter 552 of the local government code and it specifically says the money that you get for the drainage use fee has to be used for drainage what most people don't realize is in houston the street is actually part of our drainage system so once the storm sewer system or the roadside ditches get exceeded it goes down the roads so it's really a street and drainage program I, I think the, the problem that we have within the city itself is that we haven't done a good job of informing the public and educating the public on the need, the problem, and how we're spending the money. I mean, I'm an engineer. We are terrible communicators. No, seriously, we're problem solvers. Really? Give us a problem, and <laughs> I hadn't noticed give us that. A problem, we'll come back with the solution. And so here we are with a program that we've given to Public Works. We've asked them to implement it, which they're doing it the way they've always done it. And yet, we haven't done a good job of informing the public that here is what we're doing, here is why we're doing it, and then we move on. Now, the challenge about, oh, you're just paying overhead, well, guess what? We simply moved everybody into the program, and we moved all the resources that were paying them previously. That was a political ploy, and it continues to be a political ploy. Steve, I think so. I want to let Dr. Oh, okay. I have to disagree. Okay. I am an engineer, and we are getting to be better communicators. <laughs> well, I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> So I just want to make the point that I love everything I've heard, but I haven't heard the word environment either. 
So where do we stand on that? That's, you know, um, what about solid waste? What about hazardous waste? What about all the petrochemical industries that are the heart of the economy of the city of Houston? Uh, what about the other users in the watershed, such as the medical center? And so why is everyone looking here? Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's, let's, doctor, let's talk about that, because I, I agree. So if you think about the threat that we have environmentally to the city of Houston and Harris County has to do with a surge from a hurricane, which we have been lucky over the last 15 or 20 years. And that's why you're hearing a lot of people talk about the coastal spine, which is a hurricane protection system from Orange County all the way down to Missouri County. We need that. That project alone would cost the same amount of money to protect millions of people relative to the same price they pay to protect the city of New Orleans that only had 300,000 people. And yet, the petrochemical industry alone, what impact it has for the entire country is incredible. So that's the very first thing. The other is what I was talking about earlier about our wastewater treatment plants. We did have several of our plants got inundated. And so we need to think about how we protect our plants, and we need to use this storm to figure out a way to make our plants so they don't get flooded for that reason. But Steve, even the coastal spine, which I fully support, in fact, I tell my friends that that's a wall that I can support. <laughs> <laughs> and quite frankly, if, if the president would put the money he wants to build a wall to the coastal spine, he'd be, he'd, he really would leave a legacy behind for the whole country. But having said that, I think what's important, though, is to note that it's not just about the petrochemical industry. It's about the people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's mm -hmm. 5 million people. Uh, and it's also about, you know, all the, the port and all of the, the uh, products that go in and out of the port. Uh, but that, too, is going to take money. I mean, we can't count on the Corps of Engineers to give us $15 billion. You know as well as I do that I there's do. a match involved. And if it's a 20% 20, 20 match or 30% match, I mean, it's easy to do the math. We've got to come up with bukus of dollars. So even though so, it's just so, explain, that, so, right? so, so I think that's very, that's long-term, and I fully support it. And uh, we passed a resolution in the Senate to urge the, 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 the Congress to, to uh, do that. Uh, but, but that also is long-term. So here's yeah. the, so the Senate and I, we've known each other for a long time, and, and I look forward to visiting with us more. So here, here is a solution to our funding plan. If we can get the state legislature to allow the region to tax themselves one penny more in sales tax revenue, we could pay for the coastal spine in 10 years. Pay as you go, zero federal dollars, because one penny from Houston down to Galveston and the sales tax revenue is over a billion dollars. And I agree with you and I would support that, but I think it's going to be very important to send a clear message of what is going to get done right. and how long it's going to be, uh, uh, take to do it. Mm -hmm. And then say it's for 10 years, and if it's not done in 10 years, you have to come back and tell us why not. Otherwise, you can't collect a penny anymore. I think. Taxpayers, like you said, are willing to invest and pony up money only if they know what they're going to get. And if not, well, then stop collecting my taxes. And I think that's been the challenge in the past is that we've not given, even with some bond elections. And you know, I've been there as city controller. We, we don't tell the public exactly what we're going to do that's directly going to impact them and what the investment is about and when it's going to end. Because nobody wants to give anybody a blank check. And, and the problem also is when you rely on the federal government, all of these federal projects take 20 years, 20 or 30 years. We can't afford that time. Yeah, we need to fast track it. It's desperately needed, y'all. It's, it's a wall we all can support.
Sales, sales tax just for the Houston region, really interesting. Well, Senator, I wanted to ask about sure. the environmental impacts in particular, because especially the communities you represent along the Houston Ship Channel, right. I mean, we've had reporters go over there, talk to residents. Are you hearing a lot from residents, from your constituents about concerns? Well, regrettably, I am, because there was a, a couple of plants where there were some issues in, in my own district, and of course, we all saw that that one plant, not in my district, up in Crosby and Senator Creighton's district. Arkema, yeah. Uh, that, well, it depends on, you know, one day it was just a, you know, a chemical reaction and not really an explosion. The next day it was something else. So bottom line is the damn thing exploded. Uh, so we do have to do a, uh, make sure that TCQ does a better job. And I'm going to say better job because I do get concern, a concern about TCEQ. And even though that incident was not in my district, I called TCEQ and I said, look, wait a minute. Why is the press reporting that you don't even want to release copies of your plans? Why is the press reporting these? So that just makes us look like we're we're part of the cover up for it for a for a uh, a company here. So you know we we went around the conversation for a while, uh, but I think we can do a better job of of making sure that TCEQ does its responsibility that it has to all of Texas to make sure that that all the plants operate in a in a way that is 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 uh, uh, conducive to protecting the environment and more importantly the people around there, you know that's what I worry about the most. So I do have I did file two bills last time and have included them again as interim charges that uh, that that is about using technology now to have better better uh, systems to alert um, uh, people in times of emergency. Uh, I had another bill that that simply would add text messaging in addition to phone calling when we want people to shelter in place. But the industry, you know, uh, doesn't support those things. They always say it's going to cost them more money. And I, I didn't even get to hear it in a couple of them. But I think we can do some things proactively, and we can do a lot more uh, in making sure that TCEQ does a better job. Yeah, Dr. Rifai, this is really your, I mean, part of your area of expertise. And, you know, we, we talked about how, of course, the biggest risk comes from storm surge, which thankfully we didn't see in Harvey. But, I mean, does this tell us that, you know, even a torrential rainfall event could really cause some of this infrastructure, storage, tanks? Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. sure. I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, we haven't talked about landfills, for example, that flooded. I know there's been trouble collecting debris and whatnot, but in fact, we didn't have places to put it because the landfills were actually flooded. So. You know, you have to, to deal with that before you can actually dispose of all the stuff. And then uh, storage tanks, you know, only in the Houston Ship Channel, there's about 5,000 of those. And their potential for failure, whether it's from surge or, you know, being uplifted by water and moved, and then they encounter some sort of uh, obstruction and you get that upshore or you get, the, uh, you know, then you will have a leak. And so those will happen whether you have storm surge or a rain event like Harvey. You're never not going to have. But, you know, in particular, for example, in the plant that we were just talking about, they did have backup power, but that failed as well. And then the area was flooded, so you couldn't even get there. So what you need to do is build redundancies, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you must have a, another system in the event your first line of defense, your second line of defense failed because of the catastrophic effects and, you know, the health impacts that right. such events would have. So... With that in mind, I would urge us to not think about, and again, I'm not for it against, or, you know, but the coastal spine is not one size fits all. We are going to have to deal with some other issues that It'll the have coastal to be spine multiple. will not it's address. It's not the answer, but it's got to be part of the answer. We need more levee systems. We probably need more, more reservoirs. We probably need more ways to, you know, 
to be able to move the water. Well, so, and then when we move the water, we haven't talked about what's in that water and where that water ends. So, you know, the bayous that we have in Houston, I don't know how many of you are from Houston, but they're a reflection of who we are. They are part of you. They are Houston in some ways. And Galveston Bay is a manifestation of our city. And so up until now, we had a healthy bay. I cannot guarantee that this will be the case on a longer-term basis. There's so much fresh water that ended up in Galveston Bay the salinities are not supportive, so the oysters are dying, shellfish will be decimated, and this whole industry of fishermen. I think it's already been reported that the yeah, oyster, oysters, oysters are just 60% so, right, that they and are. Galveston you know, probably will die. And, and I'm not you know, an oyster fan, but I have a lot of friends that are. Right, and so when you look at the water, you might say, well, you know, we looked at the metals, there's not a whole lot of metals, but it's five and a half million gallons that have reached Galveston Bay that have a little bit of metal. So in the net, a lot of metal made it to Galveston Bay. And that's also harmful to the seafood and the fish and the environment, the ecology of Galveston Bay. So again, you know, it's not one size fits all. We really have to be proactive. We want to be resilient for sure and build resiliency in our approach to addressing these storms in the different ways that they approach us, right? We, we had Ike, we had Allison, we had Alicia, we have Harvey. They're all entirely different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, so and we I have think, to kind of think about that. In, in looking at two things, one, you know, Galveston Bay Foundation and the Galveston Bay Estuary actually do a report card mm -hmm. on Galveston Bay. Correct. And it's not in as good shape as we would like it to be. And so we have to find all these ways for not only building the redundancies, but to make sure that we're not doing things that are going to negatively impact that. Because a lot of people think of ourselves as being Gulf Coast people. And we want our bay, we want the Gulf Coast to be clean. We want it to be good for you know fishermen, as well as for commercial fishermen, so recreational commercial fishermen. What, what I worry about with the wall or the spine is that, you know, we have to also assess what are we looking at in terms of what subsidence has done to our region. I mean, we're a very flat place already. And if you're taking, you know, 10, 12 inches out of that, you're getting even flatter. And it's, I'm not a scientist, but it's got to be doing something to being able to have more water being held there and, and flooding. And then you also look at um, the, the issue of not just subsidence, but if you have sea level rise and you have more and more water, how high does the wall really have to be? How high is the dike, that spine? Can it really hold it? And so I would like us to see a kind of honest assessment of what are the things we could do that might help if you still have a spine, but you also look at how many wetlands do you have to put mm -hmm. back? You know, what do you have to do that's going to protect the, the environment there? And, and not put it under the rug and not say, oh, industry doesn't like it. We're sorry. We can't do it. Well, we have to start saying to industry, we're sorry, but you're part of our region too. Mm -hmm. You're part of our community. And you can't just be thinking, I'm going to lose money. I'm not going to make so much money. Instead, I would hope they'd think, and I often ask this to people, and maybe they don't think of it in this way, but if you're the CEO of a company and you're making gobs of money, but you're being detrimental, your, your activities are detrimental to the region that you live in, what are you doing to your own children and your own grandchildren? And I don't think they think that far ahead. Maybe they'll live in a bubble. Maybe they are moving to Mars. I don't know. Or the moon. But the truth is, is that I think we all want to leave the place better. And I was really interested when Steve was talking about us being users. We need to stop being users and to start 
realizing that we are not given the land, we're just loaned it. And so we want to leave it better than we found it. And I don't think that's what we're doing right now. Well, we have, we're going to go to questions in about five minutes, and I feel like we could talk about all of this all day. But one thing I do want to get to is some of the work that you've been doing, at Marianne, um, you know, on uh, preserving prairie, preserving wetlands. And you, know, you talked about the need to do that. Steve, do you see the city or local government in general having a role in that as well? I mean, you talked about the need to invest in infrastructure. What about the other side of that? We what do. can the city do? Uh, so Marianne and I have been on panels for years, haven't we? Yes, we have. And usually sometimes on opposite sides. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so, but we're always polite and civil. Yeah, so I, I always say it this way. When I, when I first got in the business, that I, I love concrete because we move water really, really quick. And I always felt that if you painted it green, it was environmentally friendly. <laughs> so, but you know, we, we actually think differently as engineers, and particularly moving floodwaters. And uh, you're going to see more of this gray to green concept. My office is working on the gray to green concept. And I saw an interesting statement, and I don't know who put it on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook, but I watch all the time. And someone said, change starts with the individual. And, and so if you think about what Marianne said earlier about gray to green, trying to control runoff from your own individual lot mm -hmm. is the start of a movement. And so what we need to be doing now is to start really thinking out of the box. Because the development community, per se, you know, they, they do have an impact, but they're really following regulations that bureaucrats have written. They just follow the rules. And maybe what it's time for the bureaucrats is to back and say, okay, we don't necessarily want to prevent development. We don't want to manage development. We want to work together so that we are a good steward of our infrastructure. And so I, I see the city, I see the county working collectively with the Katy Prairie Conservancy over time to figure out ways to where maybe there are areas in the region that we can set aside to have them be, be the stewards of, to uh, prevent water from coming into the region from up northwest. Uh, those are things that we all need to work together. Also, as we move forward in what we would call a fairly aggressive buyout program, uh, because we have areas of the city that have repetitive flooding losses, uh, we are going to change the landscape in some of these communities. And so uh, it would be wise to use the people that have the expertise in, in when we're building these green spaces in the community to figure out how we take advantage of their knowledge in terms of the prairie itself and what type of natural grasses we do there. Because uh, the reason why I bring that up is uh, there was a statistic that Public Works told us yesterday. Um, over 60,000 homes, over 85,000 homes that are in the current floodplain today were not in the floodplain when we first adopted the floodplain ordinance since 1979. In 1979, we had, once we adopted the floodplains, there were 67,000 homes that were already in the floodplain because there was no floodplain. And so it's not like we're randomly developing in the floodplain, we're not. It's, it's that things, times are changing, things are changing. And so uh, we need to encourage as bureaucrats, as we establish new development regs, that we need to work with the development community and the community at large to mitigate whatever impacts they're doing. Because criteria has written for the development community to do, do no new harm. And that's exactly what they've done. They've done no new harm. But what happens is, is if they're developing in an area that we know has flood problems, we should be investing money in there as well to allow them to develop so we improve the condition rather than to do no new harm. See? So 
there, there's a working relationship that we have to have with everybody at the table. And the, the challenge with this event is that there was just so much rain that places that have never, ever flooded before, places that never expected it to ever flood, it flooded. I mean, re remember that the Weather Service had to cr start a new color on their maps for the amount of rain because they didn't have that on their charts. I mean, that tells you how much rain we got. I mean, 72 hours of just constant raining uh, is, is a hell of a lot of water. And, and the senator's right. I mean, having the Katy Prairie wouldn't have stopped all that flooding. But it would have helped. It would have helped if it were back in tall grass, maybe if we're doing Plan 5, which we've been working on with Harris County Flood Control District. And that's building we, a third reservoir. That building area. a third right. reservoir, but it's at grade. Or maybe four, it's, two yeah, more. I mean, who it, knows? It's at grade. It's using a natural system. It's restoring it back to tall grass prairie because it does absorb more water, not just because you have these great roots, but also it resists water. It just holds it back. So we might have been able to at least stop some of the um, the flooding that had to occur because Attucks and Barker were going to overtop. And that's an awful decision for an operator to be in. Do you flood this way? Do you flood that way? Who do you hurt? And so one of the things I think we always say is that we can help mitigate flooding. Um, there are a lot of things that need to be done for it. And that's one solution in northwest Houston, uh, Harris County. But there might be another mm -hmm. solution in southeast Harris County. There might be a solution for Montgomery. But if we work together, and we spent three and a half years working with developers, working with public infrastructure you know, experts, engineers, Waller County, Harris County, came up with a plan. And the plan got stopped because developers thought that they could do it by themselves. They didn't need a regional plan. They're very good at what they do. They have these controls. And they thought, I, I can do this. Then. The Memorial Day flood came, the, tax, well, the, tax, the first Memorial Day flood, a few of them flooded. Tax Day flood, a few more flooded. Memorial Day 2016, a lot of them flooded. And of course, for Harvey, even more. And all of a sudden now, they realize that we, none of us can do it alone. It has to be a combined, comprehensive look at what works over on this side of, of these region, this region, what works over here, what works over there. And it's going to cost a lot of money. It probably will cost a lot of pain. And you know, the Katy Prairie Conservancy isn't going to get 100% of what it wants. The city won't get it. You know, um, Dr. Rafai won't get 100%. But ultimately, we will get a better product. Well, I want to ask a quick, uh, quick, one more quick question before we go to, to audience questions, and try your best to answer this in one or two words. Uh oh. <laughs> you know, impossible. I think. You know it is. There's talk. Of, you know, you talked, Steve. You said, you know, these these communities may have a different landscape after this. I mean, there's a lot of talk about growth in the city of Houston, growth in the Houston area. What whether that's contributed to an increased risk of flooding? I think the scientific consensus is, is yes on that. Um, and of course, when you have more people, there's more people at risk. But uh, I mean, is it fair to say, I mean, would you all agree that perhaps Houston may need to grow less fast, at the very least, now after this event in order to mitigate from future floods, among other, among other reasons to do that? I mean, is it, is it? So why is everyone looking down here? <laughs> I, guess. I already have an answer. So, I, well, no, I don't know what less fast for means. For, for open disclosure, before Slow I went to work for bit. the city, I made a very good living at representing the development community as an engineer. So that's open disclosure. 
So my response to that question will be, it's not going to be one word. My response to that question is, is that the market will drive the development. Now, as a result of the severe flooding that we've had over the past few years, development will probably slow down in certain areas of the city. But the market will drive the development. What we as bureaucrats will have to do is to make sure we start preparing criteria and reevaluating our criteria to see if it's the right way to develop. Okay. That was pretty short. Thank you, Dr. Rizai. So, you know, I'm an engineer, but I'm also an environmental engineer. So I think we can balance growth with uh, sensible increasing capacities and resiliencies and redundancies. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Um, I think we, Houston, over the last probably 20 or so years, has doubled or more than doubled in its growth. But our systems and infrastructure have not caught up. Uh, we're moving too slow on that. Uh, we're not investing as much. Uh, we're still spending monies on Tropical Storm Allison recommendations, and we've had many, many more severe disasters since then. So we have to do it faster. We have to do it smarter. And it doesn't have to slow down Houston or prevent us from being the city that we hope to be. So I'm all for we can do this. We just have to, to be smart about it and find the resources. Um, I think growth will continue. I mean, we are a very um, must-go-to destination, it appears, with all the jobs we have. However, I do think that we can put more controls in place. Fort Bend has, um, more, has stricter detention requirements than Harris County does, and they didn't tend to flood much until we got the last few floods. But they, the developers didn't stop growing there. Fort Bend is just amazing in how much it's growing, how exponential the growth is. So what we need to do is to have a level playing field with harder, you know, stricter detention requirements, retention requirements as well, maybe some of these regional things, and make sure that we provide opportunities for people to grow in the right places, and then try to discourage them from growing in the wrong places, make it harder to grow in places like floodways that I know the city of Houston put in controls, additional regulations, and there was pushback, and then they got weakened. Well, sometimes we're going to have to be the bad guys for, because we really are the good guys. And so I think the growth will continue, but I think it's going to be different. It has to be. Senator Garcia? Well, I don't know what slow in growth really means, but I, I think to me it's the growth follows the jobs. I mean, as long as we have jobs, people are going to come. But having said that, I think we do need to build smarter because if we don't do that, then companies won't come to Houston. I mean, why bring in investment if you're afraid that you may end up flooding and, and ending up with, you know, hundreds of millions of insurance costs? So I think in the end, it, it'll, it'll balance itself out. I don't think we need to do anything proactively to slow it down. We just need to build smarter uh, and protect the interests that we have. Because as long as the port and the plants and the medical center and all of the robust uh, downtown banking community is, is there, um, all our universities, I mean, we're just a, you know, we're about 5 million people in the whole SMSA. That's a lot of people. So we, we've got to maintain a, a level of, of growth to be able to attract the jobs that they can all make a living. And as that happens, more people will come. So I think it's going to be tough. We just need to build better. Okay. Well, we have about 10 minutes for questions. Um, someone's someone bringing around a microphone. Or how about you in the, right in the front, gentlemen? 
Um, as a fourth-generation Houstonian, I have to say that we're blessed by the four people that are not taken away from you, Nina. We're blessed by you. <laughs> but um, uh, we're blessed by uh, four folks as yourself and, and a lot of others. Last week I was in Israel and uh, from the podium in front of a thousand people. Steve will talk about this in a little bit. I gave a profile of what happened in my hometown um, and also described a little bit of what we've been working on uh, behind the scenes on emergency response. Senator, it was amazing. As soon as that was over, I was pulled into a room with the leadership, and I'm not, the leadership from Israel, Singapore, the Netherlands, and Italy, who essentially said, we've been there, we've seen it, we really want to be partners in whatever we can bring to the table. But what was very interesting is they all said, if you rely only on the government to solve this, it will not work. Mm -hmm. And they emphasized P4s, public, private, and philanthropic partnerships. You know, So there's more money in the private sector capital sources <coughs> to help do this. So I'm curious about, as you all see kind of this next unfolding, is how to leverage the 50 billion the X billion from the state, I, I think we have a unique opportunity to make the first 21st century resilient city in the nation, but it's only going to be done with some form of new kind of public-private partnership. Am, am I making sense, or are we, yeah. is, is yes, that where the goal is? Yeah, where else can the money come from? I mean, you've got the federal, you've got state, you've got local. Is there is there something else in the mix? I think he's got an excellent point. I mean, I think we could use some of that money and, and leverage it through public-private partnerships. Uh, because we we built other infrastructure that way, uh, and I, let me just you know like when I, we visited the Netherlands when we were looking at the the whole model for the coastal spine or I call it the wall, uh, you know over fifty percent of their budget is spent on making sure that they shore up that their their gate works and it, it's multiple modes it's not just one thing, so until we have we're Texas the cojones. To put, to really put ourselves in saying yes, we're going to spend that much money for the next ten years to get us where we need to be, then fund the maintenance and upkeep. Because Steve is right, we've spent a lot of money, but we built it and then we didn't maintain it. And so now we're now we're money, Are you going to need money from a? I mean, is it possible to use a, a philanthropic money to do? Any I think of it? You, I think you, I think you can. Money's money. It doesn't matter what pocket it comes from. I'm, you know, I, I want to be willing to take it. I know Steve and the mayor are going to be willing to take it. Uh, sure. You know, <laughs> and we'll leverage it as much well, as we can with, with any match from, from uh, the feds or, or anyone else. But I think looking at a public-private partnerships is you, you got to put it all on the table. But, but where I'd like to see the public-private partnership is actually with industry, with development, with corporations, not just going to the Houston Endowment or the Brown Foundation. But instead, for example, the Plan 5 that we've been working on initially was going to be funded in various ways. There was a contribution from Harris County Flood Control District. There was, we were going to actually forego money that we were supposed to get for damages. Not all of it, but a lot of it, and then act as a, a sort of operator for them. But in addition, the development community was going to actually put money in it. And then all of a sudden now it's more, because of the urgency of it, we're looking more at, well, gee, can we just get the federal government to fund it? And, and that's a total of what, $320 million? It's or close to $410 million now. Oh, 410 million. And what, what has to happen is everybody has to step up to the plate. So I, as an individual resident of the city of Houston and of Harris County, need to say, yes, I'll be taxed more. 
you know, the development community needs to. And I think, you know, I, I'm, again, the conservancy is not against development at all, but we want it to be smart, we want it to actually be balanced. But the development community is beginning to recognize, especially the more high-end master-planned communities, that, that these are amenities that people want. They don't want just lots of impervious cover. I think, you know, Steve has got a, a plan to put culverts under streets that might hold more water mm -hmm. so that they don't go into the drain. Well, why aren't we also using permeable, you know, materials? Um, not always impervious cover. Why aren't we putting more trees in that can absorb things? I think we just have to think about all of this and, and use every dime we can get, whether it is getting more of a sales tax or getting the corporations to pay for it, or the environmental groups that would be damaged by this because they're the petrochemical people. I mean, that's a broad definition of environment. But, um, I mean, in that sense, public-private, you know, we need to change the conversation because it's not about the bad people that are not doing the right thing and I'm impacted by the bad people who are not doing the right thing. I think it has to be a broader conversation. I think I go back to what you said, the individual can make a difference. So each one of you can be engaged in this uh, debate and uh, propose solutions and, you know, make yourself heard particularly with regard to the environment. In the past, we used to have local emergency response teams from citizens. Those have been disbanded. It's time to put those perhaps back together with the environment in mind. Another question? Other questions? Yes, over here. Uh, I've all oh, I'm oh. sorry. <laughs> He's got the microphone. We'll go to you next. Uh, I want to thank you all for a really good uh, discussion. And I'm not saying that just because I know Steve and Marianne. This was a really good discussion. Um, I wanted to, I'm kind of curious whether or not y'all have been looking at what happened in New Orleans after Katrina and what they did with their uh, post-recovery plans. I've been at a couple of conferences this summer and I knew about, you know, like the strengthening the levees, but I didn't realize that uh, New Orleans is also including green infrastructure as part of its uh, post-recovery plan. They're using FEMA money, for example. Uh, the lots, uh, when they buy out homes, they then use that FEMA money to do flood mitigation features on that lot. They do sort of like a mini uh, bioswale or detention area on that lot. So I'm kind of curious to know what y'all think about, whether or not you think there are lessons to be learned from New Orleans after it recovered from its devastating hurricane. Yes. <laughs> that, that's that's unfair. Uh, Finally, wanted, a yes or no brief. one in it. I wanted to be brief because I know there's other questions, but we, we are familiar with what New Orleans has done. We, we, are, we actually have consultants that have visited us about Sandy. So we will be taking some lessons learned from uh, both disaster areas to figure out how ways to improve our community. That's, we are doing that. And so maybe the CDBG funds could be used for something like that, Steve. To yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah. You know, we've been talking a lot about federal dollars. And on, on, on the FEMA side, there's a local share. The nice thing about the HUD money, the disaster relief money, it could actually use, we can use that as our local share. So there's a lot of financing going on at the same time. Yes, ma'am. Yes, all of this sounds wonderful. And I'm wondering uh, if you could tell us what kind of organized effort is being done to do things like this in Houston on a broad scale to really get the effort going? Because each one of you has some interesting ideas and your department or your company or your university or the legislature might be working on something, but how is the whole region planning together? So one of my roles as the flood czar is to work across 
agency boundaries and to sit down and have frank discussions. And so uh, I'm, I'm on a, a phone call pretty much daily with Harris County Flood Control District. So we're, we're coordinating our effort, not only pre-Harvey, but also we're doing the same thing on post-Harvey, both in terms of advocating for funding for both agencies, as well as as we move forward in our buyout program, we're going to be working together as, as a group agency. I think uh, what we were working on my office, my, my, my chief of staff is here, we were, what we have been working before Harvey is a, a community-wide task force to address some of the challenges that we have in terms of densification, the redevelopment within the city of Houston, uh, addressing our detention requirements, our fill and displacement of stormwater, uh, where people are what I call kidnapping our right away and putting things in that at impact drainage. But that's, that's really kind of on a more local level, and we will continue to work on that task force. Uh, we really haven't sat down as agencies and said, okay, let's talk about globally. Uh, so that's a good suggestion. I'll take that to, to Flood Control District and see, what, see how they want to take care of that. But our, but our, but our regional planning group, the Harris uh, County Galveston Area Council of Governments, every, every, there's regional uh, planning groups like that all over the state, um, also has a, a group that looks at some of these issues. I don't know specifically what they're doing post-Harvey, specifically with Harvey on these issues, but I'm sure they're going to step up to the plate and do that because when the dollars come from the feds, it gets, it'll go through GLO, the general land office here in Austin uh, as a state agency, then the money flows to the local planning group. So ultimately they'll be involved. I saw Alan Clark here earlier from HTAC, but he's, he's left the room. So we'll, we'll be, I mean, we're all going to be on it. Um, I think right now we're trying to get past the recovery and the beginnings of the rebuilding uh, and getting all the assessments. Uh, because while you've heard a lot about Houston, keep in mind Harris County alone has like, what, 34 cities. Uh, yeah. I know there's about six in, in my district. So every city has a specific need, and it's going to be important to, to kind of coordinate it, which is why earlier I mentioned that I have an interim charge to, to look at whether we need to start looking at specifically these flood, evacuation rights, disaster recovery issues, sort of on with a state oversight uh, group to really look specifically to make sure we're all working together. And on the environmental side, we have an informal group. We had a, a first meeting with 50 people on the line, basically talking about what each and every agency, state, federal, local, uh, including the Galveston Bay Council, the Galveston Bay Foundation, and many of the entities such as the city and the county, talking about sharing the lessons learned and trying to come up with a portal where all the information is provided so that the public has access to the knowledge that's being gathered by the universities, by the researchers, and all the you know, state and local entities. So that's a little more informal, but it works with uh, all of the communication and you know, opportunities to communicate that we have. Uh, that's been a good experience. Great, we want to learn more about that. I yeah. think we are unfortunately out of time. One more question. Uh, do we have time for one more? You can visit with us um, offline afterwards. Yeah, I know. It's, we're going to run into the next panel here. Um, Thank you, guys. Sorry. Sorry Thank about you. That. Thank you.